Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Corinthians 12, we're going to be diving back into the Gifts of the Spirit series and this is our our final lesson on this subject, by no means have we exhausted it. In fact, it's probably more of we just kind of got into the thick of it, but we're going to be looking tonight at uh, the gifts of the Spirit of diverse tongues and interpretation of tongues and what that speaks to us from the Scripture, what we can learn from that, and uh When we get to this point of the scripture, we're kind of coming to the end of of this section of scriptures, this specific context that Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church, and by speaking to the Corinthian church, he's speaking to the whole church, right? Speaking to us. It's very important that we remember that when we're reading the Bible, that if it was just for the Corinthian church, there would be no reason to write it all down and maintain it and keep it and protect it all of these years if it was just for them. So we understand the context, and some of that, we'll get into that a little bit tonight. There are aspects of this part of the series that are contextual to the Corinthian church, but I don't want to limit it to that um, or their culture or their locale. Um, but he's kind of coming towards the end of 1 Corinthians 12, 10 to 11. He talks about the working of miracles and prophecy, and discerning of spirits. And then we get to, to another, diverse kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit. I say same spirit. Dividing to every man severally as he will. He finishes with a reminder of what he has been pointing out the whole time. Even in the beginning of this section of Scripture, these gifts all come from, what does he say, the same Spirit, Lord, God. They all have the same origination. They all are coming from the same source, and they are directed by God through Spirit-filled humanity. They come through Spirit-filled people. Now, this is not about, when we start talking about the diverse kinds of tongues and the interpretation of tongues, it's important. I'm going to say some things you already know tonight, but it's important that we uh, remind ourselves of this once in a while because this is the questions that people ask. Anybody who comes into church uh, that's new to the faith, they're going to eventually ask us about this. So, um, he speaks here. And he's pointing out the difference. This is not about people receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit unto salvation. This is about one of the spiritual gifts that God allows already spirit-filled people to be used in. And he does it according to his will, dividing to every man severally as he will. As he will. Remember what Jesus had promised his people in Matthew 28 and 20 teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. 
Now, let's just look at that from a human point of view and from a God who understands humanity. He just said, I want you to remember everything I've told you. I don't remember everything my wife told me an hour ago. Don't even. I'll, I'll switch subjects so fast. I will switch subjects. We don't remember everything we learned in high school. Can I get an amen? We don't remember everything that we've ever been told. And, and so when Jesus makes this point in 2820, to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, that, not, that doesn't even just mean remember them. It, re- it means live them out. So when you think about that command from Christ, it makes sense that he was always going, he was going to have to be with us somehow for that to work. We weren't going to just remember it and do it forever. So he says, as one of the last things that they see him say, this is one of the last things that they visibly see him say, but but from then on, we will still need to be directed, and he will still need to be present. But the only way that happens is through the Holy Spirit, right? Amen. And so it's important that that this this is the extreme value of the Holy Spirit. It's not just, it's not just a feel good. It's not just a, I spoke in tongues and man, it was, it, I was elated, I, was, I felt great, and it does feel great. And you speak in tongues for the first time, it's amazing and it just gets better after that. But that, it's not just for that, it's for, that's the only way humanity is ever going to be able to know everything they're supposed to do and do everything they're supposed to do is if they have that help. And that differentiates his church, his church, from all of the others. Because if he is not present, there is no church. If the Spirit of God is not there, there is no church. His presence is foundational. Without it, everything falls. So this point was being made by Jesus when he spoke to Peter in Matthew 16. And I'm, I promise you we are going to talk about diverse tongues, but I'm trying to help us because when when you get this question about diverse tongues you can't just answer the question and talk about diverse tongues and interpretation of tongues if you do that you're not answering the question correctly you have to start by answering the question of what is being filled with the holy spirit and then how is that different from diverse tongues and interpretation of tongues he says to Peter, and, uh, that uh, thou art Peter upon this rock, I'll build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give it the keys to the kingdom, right? I'm going to give you what you need, the keys to the kingdom. And whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You're going to have something with you, Peter. These keys to the kingdom are going to be necessary. Thus, it was Peter who preached and was used on the day of Pentecost and, and, and preaches after the 120 are filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know it. The day of Pentecost fully come. They're all with one accord in one place. There come a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind filled all the house. Appeared in them cleven tongues like as fire. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. As the Spirit gave them the utterance. 
So even this initial connection to the Spirit is directed by the Spirit. Right? They spoke in tongues because the Spirit gave them the ability to do that. That is important if you're going to explain to someone about the diverse, uh, of diverse tongues and interpretation of tongues. That is a foundational thing that we have to get to first. They only spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Later we read what they were saying when they spoke in tongues in that context in Acts 2. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were hearing their languages spoken by people who did not know their languages. And what they were hearing them say was worship of the Lord. Okay? So it's a key, that's a key understanding of the difference between what happens in Acts 2 and what we're learning about in 1 Corinthians 12. It's, they're not just, some people are like, I just don't understand the difference because it's tongues and it's tongues. No, it's not. But you have to differentiate how the tongues came about, what the tongues was for, what they were doing when they were speaking in tongues. That's how you have to answer this question. So and here's, here's, just so everyone knows, if somebody asks you a Bible question, then it's perfectly all right to give them the 30-minute answer. It's perfectly all right to give them the, you know what, that's a come over for dinner and we're going to talk for a couple hours answer. We don't need to be people who are always trying to find what is the quickest, most precise, dumbed-down way to answer that question. That's not, that doesn't help anybody, okay? So it's okay to give, give the long answer, and that's, and that's what we're doing because it dif differentiates Acts 2 from 1 Corinthians 12. Acts 2 is about salvation. Peter preaches a message about how to be saved, and what do they do? They reply. They're pricked in their heart. They say to the Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? Peter, repent, be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for mischief says, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost is essential to salvation, right? It is understood to have happened when they spoke in tongues. How do we know that? Acts 10, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word, and, the gift of, and, they, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So that's evidence, more evidence. Acts 19, when they had heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So we understand that when it says that repent, be baptized, for the rest of your sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's saying you'll know you get the Holy Ghost when you speak in tongues because we have other scriptures to give us the context. Everybody with me? So receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost is essential to salvation. It's understood. It's important for us to be clear and not be ignorant, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, to not be ignorant of this differentiation because it has been proven to be a major difference maker. Churches that get away from this foundational understanding, they still so often have proven that they want the spiritual gifts. 
This, is, this has been shown over and over and over. Churches that go away from receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost as evidence of speaking in tongues, they don't want to do that. But they want the gifts of the Spirit. And so they pursue after the gifts of the Spirit. And that always leads to destruction. And so our job is not, is not only that we know that so that we don't fall into that trap, but so that we can help other people understand that that is a trap to do that. Now, Corinth was a place of connection. So when we look at what he says here, he says, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now, Corinth was a place of connection. It was a hub of several different travel routes. And there were no doubt many different languages that could be heard within the city limits of Corinth on any given day at any given time. So the, the gift of diverse tongues, some people would say, would be related to the fact that there was so many people in the area who were speaking different languages, and they connect that to the day of Pentecost, to when there were so many people there that were speaking different languages, but they all heard in their own tongue. Everybody with me? They all heard in their own tongue what was being said. Uh, and so because it is spoken of included in this list of the gifts of the Spirit, we have to take it and not just view it through that context alone. We have to view it through the context of what Paul is saying and what he is trying to get across. So it is an act of God that allowed God's message to be proclaimed to every hearer, but would require an interpretation. Because he says, to one, the gift of tongues, to the other, the interpretation of tongues. So he is saying, this is not exactly like the day of Pentecost. Because on the day of Pentecost, they heard, they said, we hear them speaking in our language. Here, in the gifts of the Spirit, it is saying, there's going to be a requirement of an interpretation that takes place. A diverse tongue followed by an interpretation of tongue. So that means somebody's going to speak in tongues, which in this context means a language nobody is understanding. Right? And therefore, there will be a needed interpretation. Everybody still with me? So this is not an interpretation from like, one language to another. It's not like from English to Spanish, uh, but from a word given from God in the Spirit, or as what is called in the Bible an unknown tongue, then interpreted for everyone there to understand. Everybody sees the difference. So tongues can be seen in Scripture for some different things. Now, this I'm going to say, what I'm about to get into here a little bit, um, can be considered a gray area by some, okay? Even in the apostolic world, you may hear some different teaching on diversity of tongues. But uh, we know that it's, uh, speaking in tongues is salvation, I just talked about that, part of salvation. We also know for exhortation, so this is uh, kind of, this manifestation, the Holy Spirit speaks to the church, words of comfort, words of edification, words of encouragement, but that would require an interpretation. That's, that's kind of what we're looking at right now. It would, the Holy Spirit uh, moving upon someone to give them the gift of interpretation of tongues. There's also intercession, praying in the Spirit. 
with this manifestation, the Holy Spirit intercedes on behalf of a person. And I'll, I'll mention that a little bit later. Uh, it's interceding on behalf of a person, a situation, or a whole group of people uh, where prayer is urgently required, where something is, is desperately needed, or whatever. But with intercession, we remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 too. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. And then he says two verses later in verse 4, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Now they got into this last week or whatever, so I'm not going to dig back into that again. But I, I need you to understand that just because Paul is pointing out the differences here, that when you speak in an unknown tongue and there's no interpretation, it's not for anyone, that that only edifies you. He's not saying that that's bad. He's not saying that's bad because, oh, you're, not, you're just edifying yourself. It's not for anybody. You're just talking, uh, what does he say? Spe you're not speaking into men. You're only speaking to God. You're only edifying yourself. You're not prophesying for the whole church. That doesn't mean it's bad. So it's, 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 it's not a negative, negative commentary on the gift, but Paul does warn them about not allowing the gift to operate that, 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 God, that God has directed in a way that is out of its rightful context. What I mean by that is it's a church full of people speaking in tongues out loud at the same time as if it's for the body, but no one is interpreting creates confusion, right? We can all speak in tongues. We could, in early, I'm sure somebody was speaking in tongues a minute ago. We could all be speaking in tongues on any service, and we're just, and it's just, we're speaking to God. It's just edifying us, and that's perfectly fine. That's perfectly normal. But if we are to, if we were to say that we're speaking in tongues for the, the diversity of tongues, for, that would mean it would have to be for the body. And for 100 people to all do that at the same time and say it's for the body and nobody's interpreting, it's chaos. So we have to understand what we're doing, why we're doing it, and when we're doing it. You say, well, that sounds like a lot. Well, it would be, except we're spirit-filled people. Spirit-filled people are spirit-led people. So if God is actually leading the situation, you never run into that. That, I just, that scenario I just put out there, that never happens. So that, that's a little evidence for you if you ever find yourself in a situation like that. God's probably not in control of what's happening. Amen? Amen. So... 1 Corinthians 14.9. So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. So when God uses tongues and the interpretation of tongues to speak to a congregation of people or to speak to whoever's there at the moment that he wants to speak to, I want you to notice what his goal is. The goal is to do so in words easy to be understood. See it? 
uttered by the tongue words easy to be understood. Now, that's actually a very important thing because there is a, I don't know, there's a weird pressure sometimes people feel that if they're going to give the interpretation in tongues, that it has to have an element of like kind of grandiose to it. It has to like sound really good. It has to be in King James vernacular. They have to use words they've never used before. And that's why people will believe that they're, oh man, they must have been used by the Spirit because normally they sound pretty dumb, but they sounded, I mean, that was pretty good. And that is, that is a completely unnecessary pressure. What is God trying to do? He's trying to send a very clear message that everyone can understand. That's what he's trying to accomplish. So that's an important thing to keep in mind because it keeps us from falling into some of these traps. And, and not only falling into traps, but this is, I think, something that actually keeps some people hesitant to involve themselves in it because they feel like, oh, I, I could never... I could never speak like that. I could never say that. No, you couldn't. But the Spirit of the Lord could speak through you. And it, and it doesn't have to be some unbelievable thing. It has to be just what God wants it to be. Amen. Some people uh, understand that, um, and, and it gets a little easier. Well, and we'll... We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 13. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. Amen. So that doesn't mean that the person who gives the tongue also has to be the person who interprets the tongue. But I would also point out that that means the flip side is also true. That just because you gave the tongue does not disqualify you from giving the interpretation. In fact, it says you should pray that you can give the interpretation. Now, why would God say that? I'm not 100% sure. But I can tell you what, what I feel or think. I think it's because to be used in any of the gifts of the Spirit requires an element of faith. It requires people stepping out of their comfort zones, right? But there's something even seemingly more about diverse tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Because of the way it actually happens, and everybody here has probably been in a service where it's happened. Because of the way it actually happens, I think there's, there's even a more weight of fear and hesitation that comes upon people. Because it's like, man, I'm in a crowd. I'm gonna have to get. I'm gonna have to speak up here. All of a sudden, I'm just gonna start. You know, <laughs> what God? You want me to just burst out loud now in front of everybody and do this thing? And so, I think that possibly that's that's one of the major hurdles. Our own flesh, and I don't mean that sinfully. I just mean our own humanity, our own fears, discomforts, is one of the hurdles we have to go through. And if you already cleared the hurdle of lifting up your voice and speaking in tongues loudly for everyone to hear, 
it might be a little bit easier for God to use you to also do the interpretation because you kind of already had thrown caution to the wind. You've already kind of taken the first step of faith, right? So I think that's what it's kind of saying. Pray that you can give the interpretation because I do believe that there are times when God wants to do, when he's trying to speak to his people, but our humanity just gets in the way. And, and, and it kind of throws everything off a little bit. Now, do I believe that that's like the game changer and God's like, well, I tried to help him, but I'm never gonna help him now. No, I don't. I think God just finds another way, you know. Um, and so, but I, I do think that that's part of the process of, of why he says that he may interpret so the point ultimately is a spirit-led person is not confused by what's happening. They're not confused by this process. A spirit-led person knows the difference between speaking in tongues for salvation, for speaking in tongues for self-edification, and when it's for everyone and requires an interpretation. He's not saying, he goes into later and he talks about um, some of the elders or whatever judging the situation, and we may touch on that a little bit. But he's not saying that when, when you're in a moment like that and the power of God's moving and God is, is moving, speaking to you about giving you know, the tongues, uh, that you have to like look, where's the pastor? And I have to be like, yes. You may speak. He's not, he, that's not anywhere in the context. You know why? Because you got the same Holy Ghost I got. And so it is not being judged or being allowed or not allowed in the moment based upon some hierarchy of spiritual uh, strength. It's, being, it's based upon a spirit-filled person knows the difference between when I got filled with the Spirit for my salvation, when I'm praying in tongues for my own edification, and it feels completely different when you, when you feel like God wants you to give a tongues. Right? So the point of this is, this seems confusing to people, but it's not really confusing to Spirit-led people. Because once you've participated in it, it gets a lot less confusing. Now, the, the fact that differing languages exist on the earth, um, it, it would be meaningless for someone to speak in tongues in a crowd of English-speaking people and then the interpretation be given in Spanish. Right? Wouldn't that be pointless? Once again, what is God trying to do? He's trying to get something across so that everyone can understand what's happening. And if nobody in the room, and I know that's not our context right now, but if you are in a context where everyone in the room only speaks English and nobody speaks Spanish and God gives a tongues and somebody lets off with an interpretation, it's not going to be in Spanish. Because that wouldn't make any sense. That would not help get across what God is trying to do. So remember that in Acts 2, the crowd represented a diversity of languages. 
but they heard them speak in their own language. So this does allow, this is where I, I, I want to just kind of say this, and I don't want to like make it doctrine, but it does allow for the possibility of diverse tongues to apply to language variety. It does allow, because he did it in Acts 2. It does allow for the possibility of God to speak so that people of different languages, earthly languages, it could be interpreted in their earthly language for them to understand. And that there, if you think about it, there are contexts by which that might be necessary. Okay? So the point is, is that I don't want to limit God too much on this. I'm not sure 100% how that applies to diverse tongues and tongues and tongues interpretation of tongues, but I also don't want to limit God to it and say that there's only one context by which he can use that, especially when we have Acts 2. Now, at the same time, I remember as a young minister, very young, realizing that sometimes I was speaking tongues and have no idea what I was saying. I was just speaking in tongues, right? Just caught up in the moment. Um, and that was, of course, just when I was praying and I was just me and God, connected to God personally. But I also realized that there were times when I was praying for others that I was praying out loud in tongues, but it was like the English commentary was playing in my head. Like I knew what I was saying. I was speaking to their need. I was speaking to their situation. I was speaking to their, their sickness or their pain or whatever. That was what I was saying in my head, but what was coming out of my mouth sounded like if I was speaking in tongues. And what it's, the speak, it speaks to praying in tongues with and without understanding. The Bible talks about praying with understanding and praying without understanding. And once again, if you read it and you say with praying without understanding, it kind of just on a surface level sounds like it's a negative thing, like you're doing something wrong. Like you don't have understanding. You shouldn't be doing that. You don't know what you're doing. But that's not what it's saying. It's not saying that praying without understanding is wrong. It's just saying sometimes when you pray in the Spirit, you don't really know what you're saying. It's just a connection to God and you're communing with God. But sometimes when you pray in the Spirit, you may know what you're saying. You have an understanding of what you're saying, but it's coming out of your mouth as speaking in tongues. Amen? However, we also know that we often do not know what we should be praying at all. Right? The Bible tells us that God helps us with that. Romans 8, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. It speaks of the ability that we can pray in tongues, not have any idea what we're praying, but it's not actually a self-edifying prayer, but it's what we would think of more of an intercessory prayer or a prayer that is, that is going to 
that is being directed by God's spirit to a, cause a certain thing to happen. Now we've, once again, the longer you're around, you're, you're, you hear testimonies of people, you know, that you know, they, they, they just felt an urgency to pray and they prayed and they, they felt the spirit of God moving and they didn't know what was going on, but they just felt like they really needed to pray, really needed to pray, really needed to pray. And then they were just kind of like released from it. And they were like, God's like, good. And then they found out that, you know, something three states away or around the world was happening at that moment. And they were praying and they didn't know. You see what I'm saying? And so the, the spirit, it says, helps us with our inability, guess what? This is, it says it in that nice way, but it's really saying you don't know everything. That's really what he's saying. He's like, guess what? You don't know everything. But not knowing does not mean I can't pray. In fact, not knowing doesn't mean I can't pray, but it may mean I need to pray until I get in the spirit and then I need to pray in the spirit for a while and let God, who does know everything, do what he needs to do. You say, now, okay, pastor, I don't understand what's the point. Why, would, why even have that? God's going to have to do it. I don't even know what's going on. Then why are we even involved? Well, if you're going to start asking the question of why is humanity involved, this is probably not the first time to ask that question. You could ask that question from Genesis. You can ask that question at any point in the scripture. Why is he involving humanity at all? He chose to create humanity. He chose to give us free will. He chose to do everything he did for us, and he chooses to use us. Now, if you, if you still, after that, if you still have a why, then... Whatever, at some point during the millennium, you could ask him. When we get up there, that first thousand years, maybe that's the first thing you want to know. I don't know. You can ask him, but I don't know. But he chooses to do so. And I think that it's pretty cool that God says, I will use someone who will get into prayer, into intercessory prayer, and will break into the spirit realm, and will pray, and they don't even know what they're praying for, but they'll pray with fervency, and they'll pray with urgency, and they'll pray with faith, and I'll use that to accomplish something that I want to accomplish on the earth. I think that's a pretty cool thing that God would do, that we could be a part of that. And part of me almost wonders if there's not gonna be a day in heaven where he tells us all of the things. Wouldn't that be something? All of the things that our prayers did that we didn't know they did. Amen. By the way, that also helps us from becoming selfish prayers. It also helps us from becoming people who only pray for what they need and what they want and what's in their world, what's going on in their bubble. Amen? So... He helps us. Now, for those who have witnessed a moment of tongues and, and the interpretation of tongues, we know that it often follows uh, kind of very quickly on the heels of a quietness that kind of comes over the group. Now, let me say it this way. 
holy hush is not a biblical statement. All right? You hear that, the apostolic world, that's one of the things we say. It's not bad. We're not, we're not trying to add to the Bible. It's just a commentary, descriptive commentary of what happens a lot of the times when there's about to be tongues and tongues of interpretation. And we sometimes will say the whole, a holy hush came over the crowd. Uh, so it's not a biblical statement, but it, it has been part of the experience. Why? Why does that happen? I think it's rather simple once you just think about it for a second. It simply removes the possibilities of confusion. Once again, what is God's goal? He's trying to get a simple message across to everyone at the same time. If it was just to give it to one person, we wouldn't all have to be involved. But he wants everyone to hear the same message at the same time. So this holy hush, if you will, this change in the atmosphere, by the way, that's not weird when you're spirit-led and you're in a spiritual atmosphere. It's not weird for the spirit to dictate the atmosphere. In fact, that's really what we're all about. Amen? We're all about the Spirit dictating the atmosphere. Not us, Lord, but you. Have your way. Not my will, but thy will. We say stuff all the time, which is basically saying, we want you to control what happens in this place. So it's not weird, really, when he wants to speak to everyone at the same time, he has to kind of say, shh. So it removes any possibility of confusion and gives the ability for clear communication to everyone that is present. Now, there are some ways to get off track a little bit. And I wanna just, I don't wanna get too much on this because like I said, this is not maybe universally agreed upon. It's not the clearest thing written in stone. But there are some ways to get off track a little bit. Um, sometimes people get away from I mean, we talked about speaking in tongues for salvation. We talked about speaking in tongues for self-edification. We talked about speaking in tongues for the edifying of the church. We talked about speaking in tongues for intercessory, in an intercessory way, or for things that we don't even know. Now, some people broaden that a little bit, and they use terminology like um, a warring tongue, that they would go into a warring tongue. It's like a fighting-type tongue, where they're... They speak in tongues a certain way when they're having spiritual battle. Um, others might talk about a, a worship tongue, a specific tongue for worship. Um, the phrase authority tongue or a rebuke tongue even. Um, angelic tongue. It can kind of go. You know, it's kind of like one of those things. It's kind of like once you start, it's like I don't, you can kind of go a lot of ways. And it's hard to dispute it um, because if somebody says that this is their warring tongue, I mean, you don't know what they're saying, right? <laughs> they're speaking tongues. You don't know what's coming out of their mouth. You don't know what they're saying. Um, the, my biggest hesitation with it is that we don't have Bible to, that speaks on those things. So that would be my 
my hesitation of getting into that kind of stuff. And I think that's one way that you could find yourself getting off track a little bit. Um, I've, I even know of situations where people would like to teach about um, what I'm teaching about tonight, and they want to teach about the diverse tongues, and then they, they will illustrate what that looks like. And like, this is my warring tongue, and then they'll, they'll do it. And then this is my whatever tongue, and then they'll do it. Um, I'm trying to be really nice right now. You guys, some of you are laughing at me, so I'm smiling. I'm trying to be nice. Um, and here's the thing, like, I'm not... Uh, I don't want to like step too far into that and be like, that's absolutely wrong because, you know, what? I don't know. I'm just saying I don't have like Bible that says that when I'm going to war, my tongue, my speaking in tongues is supposed to be different somehow. Or that when I'm in, that I'm praying for this, it's supposed to be different. Or, and, and maybe it's just unnecessary. I feel it would might be a little unnecessary to start breaking down that's like a language <laughs> you know what I'm saying it's like now you're like dissecting the sounds that are coming out of your mouth and it just seems like a lot of thinking going on there for something that's really just supposed to be God speaking through you right um, and, it, and it also seems a little in my opinion it feels like you're taking a little bit too much ownership of the situation okay now, I am fully aware. I got the Holy Ghost when I was eight years old. I've spoken in tongues a lot in my life. I'm fully aware that it doesn't take much for me to speak in tongues. Okay? And there is an element of, you know, it's almost like muscle memory to it. To where, like, if a person wanted to, they probably could just start making the sounds that they make when they speak in tongues because they've done it so many times. However, that's not the point. And that's not what we want to get into. It's just, I can just do this because I've done it so much. There is a very important element of reliance upon the Spirit. The Spirit gives the utterance. It's very important that we rely on the Spirit because if we start to rely on the flesh, we can get to a point where we don't even realize we've got disconnected from the Spirit and we're just doing this now out of habit. Well, doing it out of habit doesn't have any power. Right? Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. But if you get disconnected from the Holy Ghost and you're just doing it out of memory, you got no power even though it may sound exactly the same. So, yes, if you've had the Holy Ghost for a long time, you've spoken tongues a long time, it, it doesn't take you very long maybe to get into speaking in tongues. And that's fine. You're not doing something wrong. But it also means you have to just be aware of remembering to rely on the Spirit. Everybody with me? Okay. Um, 1 Corinthians 14. If any man, verses 27 to 28, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three and that by course and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, 
Let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Now, why does this need to be said? Because Paul is not writing to an angelic host, right? It's because God is working with humanity. He's working with our flesh. He's working with us. Confused people can mess this up. And even worse than that would be that some people could manipulate it and abuse the gift altogether. So what he is saying is, is that the gift of tongues should be done by course. What that, that by course means in turns. It means if there's going to be more than one, you got to take turns. Right? He's saying you should not be competing one with another. Real solid evidence that something's not being spirit-led is two people trying to give tongues and tongues and interpretation at the same time saying different things. That's pretty clear. Some, somebody's got a, a rise somewhere. They should not be competing with one another. There should also not be competing interpretations of what has just been said. He says, if you get to the point where three people have spoken to a crowd in an unknown tongue and no interpretation has come forth after the third person has lifted up their voice and spoken in tongues, in, in a gift of, uh, of, of diverse tongues, he says, just move on. What I love about when you actually start studying this is, is the way the Bible breaks it down so much. It's just like, I know I'm dealing with humanity. I know I'm dealing with people. I know I'm dealing with hard-headedness. So if you have three different people that speak out and give a diverse tongue and nobody's given interpretation, let's just call it quits. We'll try again next time. Just move on. Why? This is all supposed to be God-directed, spirit-led. So, if it's confusing, competing, or contrary to Scripture, it's not God-directed. So if you're, you're trying to find some filters about how do I know what's God and what's not, if it's confusing, if it's competing, no. If it's contrary to God's word, uh-uh. It's just, just move on. Don't, don't worry about what was said. Don't, don't start applying it to your life. Don't just, just move on. Um, in the context of 1 Corinthians 14, remember it is in this context when he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, speaking, especially diverse tongues and, and interpretation of tongues. It's where we get these two verses from that you'll probably recognize. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. So that's a good verse, and I think that verse applies very, very broadly. I think you can use it in a lot of contexts. But in the context we find it in, it's talking about 
tongues and tongues interpretation. So he's just saying God is not the author of confusion. He wants peace. What happens when tongues and interpretation of tongues happens is that should bring peace. It should bring some sort of peace. It should bring an answer. It should bring direction. Even if it's a strong statement, at least you've heard from God. Even if it's, you better knock it off and you better get it together, at least there's this peace that God sees us. <laughs> He's aware of what's going on. God knows. Everybody say, God knows. So my father used to tell this story. Um, he was in a service one time, and uh, tongues went forth, and somebody lifted up their voice to interpret, and they said, what? What in? What in the? What in the world's going on down there? See, I don't think that's God. I don't, I don't think the omniscient one, the omnipresent, omnipotent God of all creation is sitting up in heaven going, what in the world is going on? I'm so confused. What is happening? Um... So it can, it can get off track a little bit. Now, I don't say that because I don't want people to live in fear that they're somehow going to mess something up. Here's the thing. You're Holy Spirit filled. If you're spirit led, everything will work out fine. It'll all work out fine. You just have to be spirit led. Now, for most people, spirit led means you might spend a little bit saying, no, God, I'm not doing that. No, 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 I don't want to do that. I can't do that. I, I don't, it's not me. It's, it's not me. Sure, it's not. Somebody else, somebody, please, God, somebody say something. Now, just a little insight for you. Now, I have not personally been used um, in diverse tongues and tongues interpretation a lot in my life. A, a handful, I don't know, half a dozen times. Um, that was definitely usually part of my context was, uh, surely it's not me. I don't think it's me. Um, uh, the other thing that I have heard people say, and this was my context as well, was God was only giving me like the first three words, which was part of my hesitation. He was like, just say this. And I'm like, that's not even a thing. You're, that's, that's not even a sentence. So now I don't know that, I'm not saying that's a universal thing, don't put that in stone, but I'm saying that if you find yourself in a scenario where you strongly feel like God wants you to give an interpretation, and you strongly feel like it's you, but you're humble, and you're like, I don't, you're hesitant, but you want to act in faith, and God's like just hitting you with like a few words, then just remember this moment right here, where pastor says to you, you go ahead and scream out those first three words. And you know what? If you're wrong, it's just three words. You didn't even say a whole sentence. You can't mess up. You can't mess up a church service too bad with not even a functional sentence. 
but it's probably you're going to say three words and then say a whole lot more words after that. And, and, and God will be able to use you. So um, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace in churches of all saints. The second verse that you'll recognize that we get from 1 Corinthians 14 is 39 and 40. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. But then what does he say? Let all things be done decently and in order. So there's a couple things, points I want to make about that. That means that in God's perspective that you can have a powerful service going on, you can have a holy hush happen, somebody can lift up their voice and start loudly speaking in tongues, then someone else can loudly, by the way, we do it loudly because everybody's supposed to hear. Once again, the point is for everybody to hear what's being said. Okay? So, you know, don't just whisper it. And, and frankly, if you're, if you're being led by the Spirit, you're probably going to be louder than you were expecting you to be anyway because he's just going to really use you there. But the, the first point I want to make is that means that that, if all of that happens, God says that's decent and in order. And that's an important thing for us to understand because there are people in the world we live in and the culture that we live in, especially the northern culture that we live in, would say that that kind of behavior is off the wall. That doesn't belong in a church service. You should never be talking out loud. That's craziness. God says it's decent and in order if you do it the way he says to do it. If it's spirit-led, it's decent and in order for just a member of the congregation to suddenly speak out like that, there would be there are there are religions and churches and places where you would be, man, the, the daggers going through you from people's eyes would be enough. You don't do that. Well, I don't know what to tell you. God, the Bible teaches about it. And all he says is, do it right, and if you do it right. It'll be decent and in order. His definition. So all of the gifts. Let me, let me bring this to a close. All of the gifts ultimately must be done in, in, for, for, in two forms or fashion or two motivations. One is love. Paul hits this over and over and over. It comes from a place of love and it all must point to God. Let's point to Jesus. That must be from a place of love, must point to Jesus. For it to be used in hate or to be used to hurt someone is not of God. For it to be used to spread some sort of false information is not of God. For it to be used to manipulate a group of people is not of God. It's not of God. And I, and, and I'm, I won't hold back on this part because I've I've witnessed this. You see this a lot on televangelists and, you know, those shows and stuff where, you know, they, they give a tongue and then they interpret the tongue. And it's manipulation. Somehow it's always about how you need to send $100 in. <laughs> you need to bless their ministry somehow. 
And I, 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 I fear for the soul of people that would use any gift for manipulation. So it is not to use be hate or hurt. It's not a God. And, and, and if it's used to glorify self, any gift, if this is about me and self and what people are going to think about me and how they're going to think I'm powerful and I got a great relationship with God and all this kind of stuff, it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. It cannot be about self. It's got to be about God. Because to confuse the basic foundational elements of these things, which, by the way, I hope I've had a lot of you say this to me during this series, and I hope it's the, for everyone. This series has really, I think, opened some people's understanding that this is not supposed to be complex. It's not supposed to be reserved for people who achieve a spiritual level that only a few people ever achieve. I don't like to use the word demystify, but I think to a degree, when you actually just study the gifts of the Spirit, they become a lot more rational and, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense when you actually study it out. So in my experience, now as your pastor now, in my experience, it is humble, submitted people who are used in the gifts. They're people of prayer. They're people of faith. They're people of the word. It's not that they're created better than anyone else. They didn't get a gift different Holy Ghost than anyone else got. It's just, hear me now, that they are a vessel more readily available to be used of God. They're fighting less battles. They're, they're fighting less battles with God. Less, they're less hesitant. They're less, and why? So let's think about this for a second. Um, why, when we said at the very outside, outside of this, that no one owns a spiritual gift, that we don't own a spiritual gift, but we are used in the gifts, right? That was, that was the context of, of our beginning. So then why does it seem like some are used more than others. And this little friend here flying around is just really fun right now. There we go. All right. Why does it seem like some people are like, well, why do they get used? They seem like they get used a lot in this or that or the other thing. I think it's about comfort more than anything else. This is my, this is my feelings on the matter. I believe that it's because at some point they humbly submitted themselves before God and he used them. And like anything else in life, the second time's easier than the first time. And so on and so on and so on. Right? I mean, you only have to look at the context of being filled with the Spirit for salvation to understand that you went a segment of your life without ever speaking in tongues. And then you repented, you sought the Lord, you worshiped him, and at some point you spoke in tongues for the first time. And it was a first time thing. And frankly, it probably doesn't sound anything like how you sound now when you speak in tongues. 
And you might have had times after you got spoken tongues for the first time where you went, you know, a little while before you spoke in tongues again. But the longer you grew with God, the more you prayed, the more you got in the spirit, you submitted yourself, you humbled yourself, you opened yourself up, not my will, but thy will. All of those things, it got easier. I think that the reason why some people get used in some of these gifts more, or we think it's like, well, how come they get used more? It's because they've already cross some of those hurdles in their humanity. And so it's, it's a little bit easier. There's less, like I said earlier, with, with speaking in tongues, diverse tongues, interpretation of tongues, uh, there's just less negotiation going on. It's very possible, now I'm not saying this, I'm not God, but I believe it's entirely possible that when God decides he wants to say something to a whole congregation of people, he may be asking five or six people all to do it. He may be talking to five or six different people saying, come on, you can do this, come on, you can do this, you can do this. And you know, three of them are like, nope. <laughs> Not gonna do it. And God's like, okay, well. Got some submission work to do there. Got a little work to do there. And two of them are thinking about doing it, and one of them eventually just does it. I think that's entirely possible. So it's not that people own it, and it's not that people are like, well, they're always, they're always the one to do it. I just think that if you've done it before, you've done it two or three times, there's less hurdles for you to jump through to get there. So I believe it's about comfort. And I believe the second time is easier than the first one. Stay with me if you would, please. Now, we know that desiring to be used in the gifts of God, desiring to be used in the gifts is not sinful. It's actually biblical. We are supposed to desire to be used in the gifts. We want to be used in the gifts. Why does God tell us we should want to be used in the gifts? Because... We are his representative on the earth. We are his bride. We are his church. We are his people, right? This whole thing, and that's why, that's why I started us off where I started us off tonight and why I talked about the last things he said, some of the last words that he says to them before he ascends up into heaven. He's like, you know, you're gonna need to remember everything I told you and you're supposed to do everything I told you. It's just really him saying, you can do that because I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be in you. My spirit, you're going to be spirit-led. And so he's saying, because you are his spirit-led people on the earth, you should desire the gifts of the spirit so he can use you. He wants to use us. Amen? He wants to use us. And I think as long as we go at it from a biblical perspective, we go at it with the right understanding, as long as God is directing us and he alone gets the glory, we should all pursue that. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. 
Thank you, and we hope you have a great week. Thank you.